Welcome to the Striving Together podcast, a podcast for the Imago Dei Church family to help us follow Jesus together in the grace of His gospel. My name is Shane. I have the privilege of serving as the discipleship pastor here at IDC, and I am joined once again by Tyler Burton, uh, the director of... No, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to mess it up every time. Local missions coordinator. Local missions coordinator. Yeah, tell Zach I'm Man. director now, see what happens. Let's yeah. see what goes down. I don't know. That's right. <laughs> pastor for local mission and disciple making yeah, or something yeah, like that, right? Okay. I'm just a gonna, big beard now. I'm just going to yeah. make a lot of decisions. Right. Here on yeah. this podcast, <laughs> um, you, uh, you are uh, joined us. This is the, the third time uh, to help us think about following Jesus in a, in a post-Christian context, and we've talked about spiritual formation and how uh, we need to think about growing in Christ in a context that is not maybe as friendly or conducive uh, or open to the idea of growing in Christ or following Jesus. Um, but today we want to talk about not just being um, Christians in this context, but Christians on mission in this context, which we've talked around uh, uh, talked about a little bit in the previous episodes, um, but we really want to uh, ask the question, uh, how is it that we can share the gospel with post-Christian friends? How is it that as we interact with people who are just swimming in this post-Christian culture and it's their, their set of assumptions and their default settings, uh, how is it that we come to them not just to understand where they're coming from, but also to, to speak the gospel into the, their context? So let me start with uh, a more high-level question to kind of it's – a, it's a softball, but just to tee you up. Um, but I would imagine uh, on some level we can think that if the gospel is the message, right, it's good news, uh, it's the message of what God has done through Christ – for for our sakes and for the sake of his kingdom so like there's this declaration here's what here's uh what what the gospel is why is it important for basically why does the context that we're speaking into matter at all for that i mean if it's just a message then surely we can just say well here's this message uh why why does the fact that we're speaking into a post-christian context affect how we do that yeah i i think we could go even all the way back to the fact that God speaks. Okay. God speaks language. <laughs> God speaks language in a culture. Uh, and that's the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Is God speaking language to people so mm-hmm. they can understand him? Yep. Uh, that's how God reveals himself is yep. he reveals himself to people in a culture. Some of the things we trip up over in the Old Testament are cultural things mm-hmm. that are where the gospel is being communicated mm-hmm. that we might not understand right away because we're, we're kind of at a distance from those things. So God speaks, he speaks in a culture, he speaks to people in a culture yep. so that they can understand him. And then when God wanted to speak most clearly and shout most clearly, Hebrews 1 says, he spoke most clearly by his son. Yeah. What did his son do? He became man. That's good. He became man in a context, in a culture, mm-hmm. in a present place, so that the people with him and around him could hear, see, touch, and know him. This mm-hmm. is John 1, and we have sure. seen his glory. Um, so there is a sense in which the gospel message is always happening in a context okay. because God working is God moving in the lives of people so that they can understand him ultimately to the point so that they can know him. Yeah. Um, so I would say that. And then if you look through the New Testament too, all the New Testament writers are doing this as well, right? They're, they're te- this is the book of Romans. Romans is being written to a church where Jews and Greeks are in the same context mm-hmm. and are having trouble. They're having difficulties. So there's nine, ten chapters of gospel and then like four or five chapters afterwards about yeah. what do we do with this. So um, I, the, the whole situation of how the gospel goes forward, this gorgeous message 
is has to go to ears so they could understand yeah. him. Uh, and then we have to be humble enough mm-hmm. to do what our Lord did. Our Lord was humble enough. <laughs> the God of all creation humbled himself to enter into the space we yeah. could not do for yeah. ourselves. Um, so we then have to be like him, humble ourselves, enter into those yeah. spaces and get that same gospel message that saved everywhere from Augustine to your next door neighbor and get it to them so yeah. that they can believe. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, that's, I think that like, so that they may believe is, is huge, right? If the goal is just to have said something, then sure, just go speak in whatever language you want, say it to whoever you want, and you, in some ways, will have preached the gospel or proclaimed the gospel right. or whatever. But if what we're trying to do is actually communicate truth to people, those people are in a context and a culture, and we need to ask, how is it that this message gets to their ears yeah. and such that the barriers are not with the access to the gospel, but they are just, you know, spiritual barriers, right? right? They're, 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 Which, they're still going to be there. Right. Exactly. Right? The, the Lord still has to lift the veil from their hearts to be, yeah. help them see, uh, uh, the, the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we can make sure that's the barrier as much as possible. Yeah. And not the fact that this person really has no idea what I'm talking about, or they're asking questions that I'm not answering and I'm not showing how the gospel is a part of that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So when we're, when we're trying to speak the gospel into the lives of people in our, in our context, in this post-Christian context, Context, what would be some, uh, let's start with maybe some pitfalls. What are some things that as you're sharing the gospel with people in a post-Christian context that you try to try to avoid, try to sidestep some mistakes maybe you've made in the past or that you hmm. see other believers making that you say, oh, I want to I want to try to not do this as much as possible, knowing that in the end, we're all going to be imperfect messengers of this gospel, but we want to be as faithful as possible. What do you, what do you try to avoid? Yeah. If we're going to talk about my mistakes, we have to be a lot longer <laughs> than 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I, so the pitfalls really come into the the unique environment of a post Christian environment. Mm. So if we're if we're talking about a non Christian environment where there's zero context to the yeah. gospel, there are going to be different pitfall, pitfalls than a post Christian. In a post Christian, there are very real reasons why people are no longer following Jesus. Mm. Either they have very real reasons, their grandparents have very real reasons, and have kind of passed that down to them. So. What's normally the case in a post-Christian environment is either somebody or somebody down the line has genuinely rejected Jesus or has rejected a false Jesus Mm. or a false presentation of Jesus in one way or another. And they have, they have very real reasons that need to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the places we can struggle is that we can walk into an environment with somebody who like knows all of this content and be like, well, hey, why'd you believe then? You know, everything. Sure. They have a very real thing that's, that's going on. That's happening. That's leading them to not believe anymore. And like you mentioned earlier, there's a spiritual reality that's mm. happening there. Right. But then there's also a very human reality. So in one instance, I would encourage, um, an empathetic entrance Yeah. because most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the people who have rejected Jesus have not actually rejected the biblical Jesus. Mm. They've been hurt severely by the church in some way, somehow. Um, I was just with my wife's family uh, in Cincinnati. The reason a lot of my wife's family doesn't follow Jesus is because two generations down the line, somebody was really hurt by mm. the church and mm. they carry that with them. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's something I need to be aware of is there are real reasons somebody's following, not following Jesus. It's not, not been thought yeah. about, but then also secondarily, some of those reasons that people are really not following Jesus are not actually legit. Okay. <laughs> um, like in, in some circumstances, they think that God is a certain way. Yeah. He's just not. Uh, or they think that the message of the gospel is something that it just isn't. Um, and 
I need to be aware of that too. Yeah. Because yes, this person is a very real reason and needs to be entered into empathetically in this. But also yeah. there might be something going on here that yeah. I can just correct. Yeah. That I can just bring some light on. Sure. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like asking the question, tell me about the God that you don't believe in because I might so not believe true, in him dude. either. You know, yeah. like that, that kind of thing, which yeah. goes back and, and so, I mean, one of the, when I think of pitfall, pitfalls in a post-Christian context, it's, it's presuming a, a level of biblical literacy and knowledge, which goes along with what you're saying is yeah. like the God that you don't believe in is ultimately not one that is revealed in the scriptures yeah. right now again certain <laughs> the demons believe in shudder right so it's not yeah. just the case that it's like well if they just understood they would all believe that's not necessarily the case right. uh, but a lot of times there is this sense of the, the the thing that you have rejected is is not the god that i'm actually that i've encountered in christ yeah. uh and i can't assume that as i'm interacting with you when you use the language of god and i use the language of god that we're talking about the same thing or if we're talking about jesus and i'm talking about jesus yeah. we're talking about the same person or even true about him uh and so that's one of the things you have to be careful is just like help goes this goes back to that asking questions of understanding yeah. help me understand what you're talking about because we might be using similar vocabulary and actually mean uh very different things yeah and that's where boldness winsomeness and humility have to all happen mm. together if you emphasize one over the other it's going to be a problem okay. but you you have to Humble yourself and be bold. Okay. You have to be bold and winsome. You, yep. you have to kind of work in all of these spaces together because you're dealing with broken people right. uh, and have to kind of enter into that space with them. That's yeah. good. Uh, that's good. We could probably list other other pitfalls that would, uh, like I said, not just our, our mistakes, but but even just all the various ways that we could go into those interactions with, with poor assumptions. Uh, but let's let's be a little bit constructive here. Um, what, what advice would you give? Um, what helps would you give to somebody who's trying to share the gospel with their, their neighbor who's very much kind of in the heart of this kind of post-Christian culture? They've kind of moved on from the gospel, maybe hostile to the gospel, secularist, pluralistic assumptions, that kind of thing. Um, where would you go to, to help them or how, how, where would you point people to, to begin to think through what it looks like to faithfully share the gospel with this kind of person? Yeah, I, th I think the most helpful passage is Acts 17, okay. um, starting in verse 22. Uh, there's a decent preacher. I don't know if you've heard of him. Tony Merida. Merida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Tony's message on X 17 is fantastic. Um, and it really highlights a lot of those things I'm going to go through. Yeah. Um, again, also just going to shout out Dan strange. His, his stuff on this is really good as well. But Acts 17, uh, 22 through the end of the chapter, we see Paul in, uh, the Areopagus in Greece. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Areopagus is more akin to, more similar to a post-Christian environment okay. than, uh, the, the previous world that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, it was Greek, so it was Western. Uh, ideas were the commonality. There was this sense of, uh, we have all of this pluralistic gods happening. And yet there was this, um, uh, Greek secularism that also existed on top of it. And so Paul coming into this environment, uh, he does four things. Uh, the first he does is he explores and this is verse uh, 22 we see this in his speech he goes so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said men of Athens I perceive in every way that you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God so what happened just a little bit before is he walked into Athens and he just looked around right he's like what's happening here what's being said how are things being talked and when he got to a particular place he noticed a cultural artifact that's yeah. your term that 
I learned from you, a <laughs> cultural artifact. And when he saw it, he thought there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. So he just simply explored. He went in what's happening. When we are interacting with our friends, we have to be willing to explore. We have to be willing to see mm. what's happening in their lives and their worlds. Um, what are they worshiping? Mm. What do they not know they're worshiping? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they prioritize? How do they communicate what they're worshiping by what they do and also by what they say? Mm. And just sit in that posture of exploring with them. So yeah. that'd be my first thing. We got to enter and we have to That's explore. Um, the the thing I love about what Paul does is he, he says, all right, hey, there's this altar over here. You're trying to cover all your bases and get all the yeah. gods. Here's this one to the unknown one because we, we think there's got to be another one out here. And he goes, I found this altar in the inscription to the unknown god. What you therefore worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Right. So now what he's doing is he's he's exposing this, right? He's saying, you have said this is this situation. I've explored it. I've seen what's going on here. I'm actually now going to expose that this idolatry you have has a weakness to mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not the fullness of the thing that you're looking mm-hmm. for. And when he does that, it, it kind of opens up the place for us to be able to say, well, what is it to, yeah. right? There is an unknown God. And Paul's like, yeah, there really is an unknown God. Let me tell you about yeah. it. So those are just the first two things. You have a thought on any of those? No, I think that's, I think that's, um, you know, super helpful that, that, um, idea of, of listening carefully, kind of entering into almost kind of granting some premises that you would not really super be comfortable with, right? Yeah. Like most of us probably not, not totally comfortable with the idea of, the idea that, that there's this unknown God out there and they're kind of worshiping everything. Like what I want to do is be like, all of this is garbage. Right. Like, you know, like right. <laughs> that's like my, my first impulse, but he's like, let's not stop there. Let's kind of enter into this. Let's grant some of these premises. And then let me kind of show you, I think, uh, as, as you're talking about how, uh, there's actually a, there's like a, there's a better fulfillment of what you're kind of longing for and what you're trying to do, yeah. uh, than, than the one that you're going for here. So I, I found that to be, that's, that to be really helpful. And it doesn't have to be, it's not that it's not confrontational. It is, it is mm-hmm. in fact kind of, uh, presenting something that's contrary to what they have, but it's doing so in a way that uh, welcomes them in. So let, let's chase after this together. Yeah. And I think there's an answer to the longings that you've got, but I just don't think it's going to be found in the way that that you're looking uh, for, for for them. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, and when we were um, when Tony did the sermon from Genesis 15 or no Genesis 11, where you're kind of doing the that uh, gum, I can't think of it right now. Genealogy. Okay. Um, and he gave the illustration of the the woman who was worshiping the moon, and then she eventually became a Christian and started mm-hmm. a podcast. So what what happened in there is that there's a cultural thing that she was embracing that when she started following Jesus, she saw, oh, my gosh, actually, the I was worshiping the moon. Now I'm going to worship the one who created the moon, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so there's a very real thing that even happens in conversion in that. And that's kind of what we're doing in evangelism here. We're pointing out where someone is emphasizing, worshiping, loving, and saying, hey, actually, I know the fullness of that thing that you're yeah. looking for. So, yeah, that that's when we lovingly expose these things. Yeah. And I got to emphasize lovingly because yeah. we have to do it with a very careful, gentle, yet bold yeah. posture yeah. Um, as to make the gospel the offensive thing. Yeah. Not the way we do it, the offensive thing. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's a great point because there's a there's a sense in which the, the gospel is this this heraldic message, right? We are declaring the kingship of Jesus. Um, that does require truly a, I mean, the, the response to that is yield, right? Like yeah. give give yourself over to it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes in the way that we come across, we're actually telling people to yield. Like it's almost like we're telling them to yield to us. Exactly. And it's 
also that we can lose the fact that he's a he's a loving king who's inviting yeah. people to yield, yep. right? Um, this is he's inviting people to by yielding find their good yes. in him. Yes. Uh, but if all we are if all we're emphasizing is that, like the 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 lordship of Christ that comes as this conquering king, yeah. and you will be kind of you will bow down or be snuffed out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we we run the risk of. Actually, what we're trying to do is we're inviting people yeah. into something that's beautiful and for their good. Yeah. And so if we go in, if we go in with only that heraldic element and not that invitation uh, element, then we're, we, it, it can can be this thing where we're really just demanding compliance from the jump and not actually trying to see them. And in some ways, with compassion, uh, what the scriptures give us warrant to do of talking about uh, 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 the unbelievers being, in a sense, captives to Satan's will. Mm-hmm. Um, that should stir up compassion to yeah, us yeah. for in us as well not well, just that's what not we just, are that's what we exactly were, you know? right we yeah, were yeah very much place. so very yeah. much so uh, we are we are not um, we're not, you know, we're not better than, yeah. or we've been, we've been shown grace, uh, by a merciful and found our good in that. And yeah. so we want to persuade, Hey, there's good, you, the good that you desire is actually found here. Yeah. It does come in yielding to this King. It does come in bowing down before him. Um, but if all we've got is that kind of, yeah. you know, a uh, uh, declarative, uh, demand for, for concession, um, then, most people are going to balk at that uh, oh, yeah. until they find that Jesus is the, the the king that they need and want to bow down to. Oh yeah. So there's the there's the entering, the exploring, the exposing, and then you're leading right into the evangelizing. Okay. Right. Then how? Let's actually say the message. And what I love about what Paul does in uh, Acts 17 is in verse 24, he he does very much what you're talking about here. So verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it. Remember that God you didn't know? Here he is, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind yeah. life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined all a lot of periods and boundaries of the dwelling place. Go ahead a little bit to the word yet. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of the, your even poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Okay. So in his evangelizing, he's doing the exposing and declaring. He's declaring the good news of the gospel. There is this God. Here's what he's like. He's actually come near to you. You don't have to build something for mm-hmm. him. He's the glorious Lord, kind king who's actually coming to you. Right. You don't have to set something up for him. This is how he is. But also look at what Paul does in his evangelizing. He shares the good news of the gospel. That's going to be the same throughout the Old and New Testament. But he also uses something in the culture mm-hmm. that the audience would have recognized and turned it on its head, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So he literally quotes from the Stoics. He quotes the Stoic philosophers, and he says, okay, see this here? This actually points beyond itself. Mm-hmm. I know what the Stoics are saying. I know how they're talking. But he is actually saying more than he thinks he's saying mm-hmm. because there is a truth here that points beyond in our evangelism, there is the the heraldic, this is what's happening. There is the calling people to repent. There is giving a real understanding of there is a hell. There is justice. These are all sure. true things we have to walk in grace with people on and communicate clearly. And ways that we can do it to really drive it home are to take things that the person already understands and use them as through lines to this gospel mm-hmm, message. Mm-hmm. Take something they already affirm and already think is true right. and go great can i show you how that actually fulfills itself right. in the very gospel that you're rejecting um one of the best ways to do this in our culture is the idea of justice mm-hmm. 
justice is like a clear, loud uh, yep. metaphor, metaphor, narrative in our culture. Yeah. Longing. Longing. Yeah. Like it's very much present. We can take that and say, I love that you want justice. I do too. Let me show you where this has our full, its fulfillment mm. ultimately in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, a, that's a, that's a great example there. Uh, and I appreciate that you, you kind of get there as, um, you know, someone, someone might be concerned that, um, this, this listening, this understanding, this trying to find connections, this contextualizing of the gospel can be just a roundabout way of just in the end finding out that, oh yeah, they're already, they're already all good. And it's like, no, that actually what, what the scriptures give us is a way to, to through that understanding and reckon, reckoning with their beliefs and underlying desires, longings, that kind of thing. Um, we're actually moving to a place where we do actually present the truth in a way that somebody has to engage with. Uh, but as you say, in a way that, that resonates with their, their heart, uh, and helps them, uh, kind of really see, uh, the message of the, of the gospel for, for what it is. Um, cause I mean, if you think about for all of us, that in some ways is how the gospel came to us. Yeah. Is it, it, it did not, it was not just this ab- de- detached abstract declaration, but it was spoken to us for us in that way. And in, in some ways addressed and spoke to this, this, uh, this longing, this need, this desire, um, uh, this gap that we all felt. Uh, and so that's what we're doing kind of for, for others as we encounter them. Well, Tyler, thanks for uh, the time. Thanks for walking us through uh, even Acts 17, super helpful. Uh, and thanks for uh, thinking about um, just the, these things and leading the church to, to think about these things and for the ways that you guys are uh, planning for us to, as a church, kind of be engaged in the making of disciples and sharing the gospel uh, in the, the RDU area uh, moving forward. Uh, our prayer, obviously, is that all of this would lead to people who right now are far from the Lord would ha- one day have stories about how yeah, the gospel came to them uh, and that he cha- uh, the Lord changes their their lives as well. And so we want to see that happen more and more. And ultimately, it's, it's not going to happen through kind of programs or anything like that. It's going to happen by Christians sharing the gospel yep. uh, faithfully. And so uh, may, may may it be that that's the story of, of a lot of the members of IDC. IDC family, thank you guys for listening and thank you for considering these things. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, revisit some of these ideas and uh, even helps for how to, to share the gospel in the future. Uh, but we'll re- call it a day uh, for, for now and we will talk to you again next time.